It is so good to be together this morning, isn't it? This year, Danielle's talked a little bit about that already, this very unique year that we're in. It's just seemed to evaporate for me so far. On one hand, I think we would all agree that it has felt like the longest year of our lives. But on the other, I feel like I just laid down for a little nap back in March and I woke up and it's the end of July. Isn't that crazy? I think we can all relate to both of those experiences of 2020. And that was very similar for me to a time when some friends moved overseas and they moved away for five years. And to me, it was just, it felt like forever when it was first starting and it it just dragged on. It was a long time. But then they returned late last year and the nine months since they got back has just gone like that as it does. And when they first returned, they stayed with us briefly. And their two three-year-old daughters loved the fact that we had a dog. Not just any dog, he's an over-enthusiastic staffy named Dozer. And after a few days, we actually noticed that the girls were calling him by a different name. Instead of Dozer, they were calling him Dosef. And they even corrected us on a few occasions when we called him by Dozer. And so, Dosef has become a rather common name spoken in our house. I like to think that it is the biblical version of his name. And so, even though I have many pet stories, I promise I'm not speaking about Dosef this morning. I think you could probably guess where I'm going with this. It's pretty obvious. I'm speaking about Joseph. I'm referring to Joseph of Nazareth in the New Testament, Jesus' earthly father. This Joseph is known for being somewhat in the background, I would say, a rather unassuming man. So unassuming, in fact, that the most recognisable image of him is something, something like this that you'll see on your screens. I think we're all familiar with that picture of Joseph, Mary and baby Jesus. And, well, because I realise it's not very detailed, there's not a lot of information to go on there. It could be anyone under that cloak on the left-hand side. This nativity silhouette, I think we need a bit more of a, a deep, more detailed version. So I found another one. Let's have a look at that. Much clearer, don't you think? We can see his profile, just so much that we can see about Joseph from all the images that we're familiar with. Well, that's just jokes aside, it would be easy to start and finish Joseph's story right there in the stable where Jesus was born. But if we did that, we would miss out on the fine print of this incredible man's life. Joseph is found in just a few chapters of the New Testament in the writings of Matthew and Luke. And we'll mainly be looking at Matthew today. The recorded part of his story really begins with some dreams that he had. And through them, we see how God spoke to him and how he responded. We're going to start in Matthew 1, verse 18, and we'll skip over to chapter 2 as well, but the references will be on the screen for you. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Let's continue on to his second dream that's recorded. When they, the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, and he said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. With each dream that Joseph experienced at each visit from the angel of the Lord, we see that he believed the word of God and he did what he was asked in obedience. Joseph's job was first of all to provide Jesus with a family by marrying Mary. And then it was to protect Jesus from a plot against his life. And once that had ended, it was to return to their homeland and bring Jesus and their other children up in the Jewish faith and their culture, in character and integrity, and most likely teach Jesus in his own trade of carpentry. Now I want to go back to the beginning of Matthew chapter 1. It's the part we usually skip over. It's a genealogy, and this one is specifically focusing right at the end on Joseph and, of course, Jesus. It's a list with a whole lot of names. It starts from Abraham right through to Jesus, all in one family line. One person to note is King David. He's in verse 6, and he's a key person in the Joseph and Jesus story, even though he lived about a 1,000 years before they were born. King David was highly favoured and chosen by God. In 2 Samuel 7:16, God says to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God is promising that a descendant of David would be raised up to rule on an everlasting throne. That person, called the Messiah, which means the anointed one, would be even more highly favoured and chosen by God. Then we see a thousand years later, when God's angel speaks to Mary about her unborn child, Jesus, and tells her this, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The genealogy then finishes in verse 16, saying, Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. 
We now see that from this, Jesus is being named the one who fulfills the role of Messiah and therefore fulfills the promise to David. And we see that Joseph himself was born into a royal family. But he wasn't in a royal position. And there's a backstory as to why. In the genealogy, in verse 11, it mentions uh, one of the kings, one of the family members, by the name of Jeconiah. And next to his name, it refers to the fact that there was an exile to Babylon in his lifetime. He was a king in Judah, but was dethroned and taken away when uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon overtook Jerusalem. And Jeconiah, his family, and all the nobles were exiled to Babylon. This happened because Jeconiah had turned away significantly from the God of Israel. He began worshipping false idols. He allowed terrible practices to come into their nation. And he went against God's prophet, Jeremiah. So God declared his family would no longer rule as kings, even though they were in David's line. And this continued right through until Joseph's day, of course. So if Jesus is the Messiah, and the Messiah will be given the throne of David, then why is Jesus placed into a family that God has said cannot rule on a throne? It's a little bit confusing, but it's important to note that whilst Jesus came under Joseph's family and his name legally, Jesus is not Joseph's biological son. He is the son of God. So Jesus doesn't carry that curse that came through from Jeconiah in his family line. In all parts of life, there's what we could call a lower story and an upper story. It's what is seen and what is unseen. Our life circumstances and what we can see is the lower story. But the real purpose and the complete story are often unseen, and that's the upper story. For Joseph, his daily life was spent in Nazareth, working hard, providing for his family, following God's laws, but definitely not sitting on a throne or being recognised as royal. But then there's the bigger picture, where he and Mary have been given the responsibility of parenting God's own son on earth. And that son would then become called the king of kings. It's amazing. Joseph was looking after Jesus' earthly needs, but that same child would then go on to become the one to offer salvation to all people. That's quite the upper story that Joseph is a part of. So although Joseph was born into a family that had their kingly titles stripped away, he still had a royal role to play. Joseph knew the family he was from. He knew that he had to go to Bethlehem, the city of David, for the census right before Jesus' birth because it was his family's town. And he would never have forgotten those experiences of encountering an angel of the Lord through dreams and seeing the prophecies that he was told and instructed about come to life, he saw them happen. But for the most part, Joseph really would have had to have focused on his day-to-day -day realities. And we don't even know the full extent of that. It was only such a small part of his life 
as there is for Mary and Jesus, recorded and brought through into the Bible for us, because that's the part that is essential for us to know. But he and Mary had other children. They would have faced many life challenges. Their nation was being ruled by uh, the Roman Empire, and that would have brought hardships as well. They would also have had their simple, daily, sometimes mundane and ordinary lives, just like we do. And while Joseph went about that, God was seeing to it that a higher mission was being accomplished. In the middle of a normal life, God called Joseph to an extraordinary existence. Yes, he was born under a generational curse, but his life was not cursed, his life was blessed. Even though almost everything about his life said that God's promises were empty, they were not happening. After all, there was no descendant of David sitting on the throne. In fact, a pretend king, Herod, had been put there by the Romans. But that's not what God's Holy Spirit was saying to him. The Holy Spirit was saying this, or something like this. Don't let what you see determine what you believe and how you live. Find your true identity in knowing the Messiah, Jesus. We are like Joseph. We're born under a curse as well, a curse of sin that started with Adam and Eve in the garden. It hovers over creation still. We see it play out in this world every day in disturbing ways. But we also have a royal role and our identity is now to be found in Jesus too. Ephesians 1 verse 4. We have been saved from that curse of sin and it now has no claim over us. We are free to live fully in who we are called to be because of Jesus. We are to be like him, holy and dearly loved. Colossians 3.12 follows on with the same theme. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It sounds like Joseph. We are to leave behind the old way of thinking and living that only weighs us down and halts our progress in life. That royal identity in Jesus means that we rule over our circumstances. It's not the other way around. We need to learn the secret of Joseph. And that is, when Jesus is in your life, everything changes. But not in the way that we think it will. It's not always the things that we can see, but it's the rules by which we live that will change. Because we now come under God's blessed life, even if everything around us says the opposite. And it usually does. Life has a way of deteriorating, but a God life has a way of rejuvenating, of renewing. There are two significant paths that we are faced with in almost everything in life, fear or faith. Fear is often present when we focus on our circumstances and our limitations, the things that we can see. 
Faith and trust in Jesus allows us to live the opposite way to that. Fear is easy to give into. It's always ready to take us down, knock us over. When life gets to me personally and I feel a sense of hopelessness or complete uncertainty, there's a wide path of fear that opens up before me and it comes with negativity and depression. When I'm on that path, I can't enjoy life. I can't be who I'm meant to be. Faith is a much harder path to step onto. But if we choose it, if we go with faith, and even if that faith is as small as the proverbial mustard seed, it transforms us. God is available when we take that path to bring his reality into ours. So what are you struggling with? Where are you not seeing God's involvement or intervention in your life and your circumstances? Where is God's bigger plan, you might be asking? And what fear is holding you back or crippling you? They're important questions to ask because they're the ones that we need to throw off. They're the ones that we need to choose to set aside so we can step onto that path of faith where we transformed. You might have seen those Be Like Bill memes or images. They say things like this. Bill only goes out for essential reasons during isolation. Bill coughs into his elbow and sanitizes his hands. Bill is staying home and staying safe. Be like Bill. Well, I've come up with one too. Joseph trusted God for what he could see, for what he could not see and did not understand. Joseph lived out a royal purpose in the midst of an ordinary life. Joseph found his true identity in his relationship with Jesus. Be like Joseph. These following words were prayed for me by a friend recently and I want to share them with you and then I'll pray. Let's commit to not give way to fear. If God said to do it, we do it in his power. If something is not working, we can depend on him to move the obstacle. Praise the Lord, he has our back. He doesn't set out on a road to failure. He's bringing us along for his victory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the life and the witness of Joseph. So many things that his life teaches us and we just scratched the surface this morning. Thank you for his commitment to you and his unwavering commitment to his family and his son, Jesus, our Lord. Your royal purpose for him is an example and an inspiration for us, even today, 2,000 years on. May we choose, as it says in Hebrews 12:1, to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and remind us, Lord, from your word in Hebrews 11:1, 1, that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see.
Amen to that.